Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. The worst thing an owner of real estate can do is finance a long-term investment product with short-term debt. We're starting to see some of those folks who finance with short-term debt get hurt. And I don't mean to bask in other people's pain, but that's what provides good buying opportunities. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Adam Rosencrans. Adam is joining us from Malibu, California. He is a return guest on the Best Ever podcast. If you Google Joe Fairless and Adam Rosencrans, his episode will pop up. He is the chief investment officer for Christina Development Corporation, a Malibu-based developer, manager, and sponsor founded in 1977. Adam's portfolio consists of approximately 20 properties that are a mix of retail, office, and multifamily. Adam, thank you for joining us again, and how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Ash. I appreciate the opportunity to join your podcast again. Hey, we're fortunate to have you back. Adam, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Absolutely. My name is Adam Rosenkrantz. I'm the Chief Investment Officer for Christina Development Corporation. Christina is the sponsor of Christina Real Estate Investors, which is a programmatic series of private equity real estate investment companies that gives accredited investors across the nation the opportunity to own tangible pieces of investment-grade real estate in the west side region of Los Angeles. So that's Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Century City, West Hollywood, Malibu, and Silicon Beach. So oftentimes exclusive and unattainable markets for investors to reach. We provide them with an opportunity to invest alongside with us. I've been at Christina now for a little bit over four years. Prior to that, I worked for Wells Fargo Private Bank's Real Estate Asset Management Group in San Francisco. So I managed a multi-hundred million dollar portfolio comprised of mixed-use office, retail, multifamily shopping centers, the whole shebang. And my region was from Monterey up to Humboldt to parts of Southern Nevada. And then we also had a portion of the West region of San Francisco, Wells Fargo's bank. So we had a pretty expansive real estate portfolio and it was a lot of exciting product types and just a, a great opportunity for me. But I'm thrilled to be at Christina where I am right now and have some really exciting projects going on. And we have actually, I think it's 27 properties right now all within the prime west side region of LA. And we're doing great. We have a 400 accredited investors. So the company is growing pretty extensively right now. And we're excited. Adam, a lot of people, when they send a bio, they talk about dollar amount of assets under management or number of units that their LPs on. You were pretty humble and just said 20 properties, which is actually underrated. It's 27. But can you give us the approximate value of those properties? Just to put things in perspective. About three. I've got 20 properties. It's nowhere near the value that we're talking about today. Yeah, it's about 250 to 300 million dollars. And we have two additional properties that are under contract right now. So West Side real estate is fairly expensive. So the property values are a little bit higher. Yeah. And I've got to ask you the last time we spoke, things were going pretty well. Now we've seen interest rates hike, a lot of skepticism in the market. What are you seeing in your market in particular? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that there's a pretty large spread between bid and ask price, right? Sellers are still expecting to achieve the prices that they were getting in January and December of last year, which were very much at the peak of the market, I think. And now buyers are not quite willing to transact there. I think you're seeing issues with negative leverage on deals where interest rates and cap rates are very much misaligned from that standpoint. And we're seeing a diminishment of transactional volume as a whole. So we try and keep our pulse on the market with non-traditional sources. A lot of people will say, oh, I talked to this broker. This is what I'm hearing. Or I read that Wall Street Journal, LA Times article. We try and take it to the next level and actually work with escrow officers and our title officers who are the most in the know with how transactions are actually happening, right? What's the velocity? What's the volume that you're seeing right now? How many deals are actually falling out of escrow? And we've seen a heightened amount of properties that are falling out. So if they went under contract a couple months ago, they've fallen out right now. So there's providing some opportunities for us to actually find attractive deals that are not closing for one reason or another. But we work primarily with Commerce Escrow Company right now. And they've seen about a 40 to 50% reduction in transactional value over the last three to four months. So I think that's indicative of a demonstrable slowdown in the marketplace right now. I love that you're in the trenches and the front lines finding these deals. What are you seeing in terms of potential opportunities on the horizon? I'm experiencing the same thing where sellers are oblivious to interest rate hikes and additional inventory on the market. When is that going to change? When are they going to realize if I want to sell, I better do it soon and I better do it at a reduced price. That's a very good point. 
For us too, it's kind of the ultra prime markets we're still seeing as being more resilient. So apartment buildings that come available in Brentwood are still transacting. They may not be quite at the exorbitant price that they were previously. The prime of Santa Monica is still transacting right now at pretty considerable height prices, especially in the residential rental market. We're seeing rental rates continue to escalate. And I think that's partially because those people who wanted to buy a home are being priced out due to interest rate hikes. And we're in a supply constrained region. There's an absence of new product coming online. Governmental regulations constrain the existing supply. You can't build more. So rents are just going up. We've seen about a 10 to 12% increase in rental rates just over the last three months alone. So that's still a very compelling market for us right now. I think at a certain point, It'll begin to plateau, but if we're looking at what we call secondary prime markets in LA, so West Hollywood East, so I would say that's east of Crescent Heights, north of Santa Monica Boulevard. So we get very micro in our location. We have a hundred square miles of the west side of LA and people are always, well, you're only in the west side region of LA. How do you get any diversity? Because you got five separate cities. You've got little micro pockets of areas that are better areas than another location that may only be a quarter mile away. So we try and get very granular in the way we do business from acquisition targeting to selection of brokers, just in general, trying to make sure we know every inch of that particular area. So we're seeing in secondary prime locations, a little bit of diminishment in sales prices. And we're seeing probably 10 to 15% pricing discounts across the board in the less prime areas right now. And I think that that's going to continue and there's going to be more stress in the market. We're seeing some good opportunities right now in broken condo deals. There's been developers who were taking advantage of low interest rates to go out there and finance their construction projects. If they were tied to the prime rate or LIBOR plus 300 BIPs, well, all of those rates have gone up a lot and your borrowing costs are higher and your commodities prices are higher. Thankfully, lumber started to come down a little bit, but those folks who got adjustable rate mortgages, I suspect, are going to be in for a world of hurt. And I think last time your show, we chatted a little bit about the worst thing an owner of real estate can do is finance a long-term investment product with short-term debt. We're starting to see some of those folks who finance with short-term debt get hurt. And I don't mean to bask in other people's pain, but that's what provides good buying opportunities. What kind of debt are you able to obtain currently? We're still always looking for fixed-term, long-term debt. So our private equity companies have at least a 30-year horizon. Because it allows us to capture 30-year mortgage rates on multifamily properties, we will never really finance a project that's, obviously, if there's a construction facility, it may be a little bit different. But traditionally, we will not finance a project with less than 10 years of debt, just because we never want a bullet. And we believe that when you invest on these really supply-constrained regions where there's more demand than there is supply. The only way to go broke is to have a lender take your property. You can weather the kind of cyclical nature of real estate if you invest in these really strong locations because over time, real estate in the west side of LA has only gone up. If you look at a 40-year graph, which is commensurate with the time that we've been investing in this region, it's gone up and down and it varies and vacillates over time, but it always goes up. So you just got to be able to hang on. You never want to finance a real estate project with short-term debt. So we use... The fact that our principal, Larry Taylor, and our management team will personally guarantee the debt as well. So we collateralize these investments with our personal balance sheets, and that's given us a credit enhancement. I think that's something that's very unique between us and other sponsors is, sure, we're in a single action state in California, but we do recourse debt from the standpoint of we're personally on the line, and we want to make sure that that investment performs. We get a material credit enhancement that's a benefit to our investors by having a reduced rate. And the benefit of doing recourse debt 
is you're putting less dollars down. Correct. Are there any other benefits? No. <laughs> yeah, but it makes a huge difference in terms of cash and cash returns. How long are you in these investments typically? We've owned about over 120 properties in the last 40 years or so. And our average hold period is about seven years. So although we look for the long-term and we believe that you need to have a long-term business plan to help you weather inclement weather that happens, right? If there's a, an earthquake or there's a pandemic or something that happens that you don't anticipate, you're able to look for the long-term and hang on to that property. And you're not confined to a very short disposition period. But we also have properties. I was at a property yesterday that we've had since 1985 because that property has returned the capital four or five times over to our investors. And it's just been kind of a slot machine for us. So we've got ranges. We've had properties we've held for three months. We've had them for 30 years, but the average hold period has been about seven years. And how do you align expectations of your investors? What do you tell them that we're looking at a seven-year hold? Yes. We let them know traditionally what's happened in the average, which has been about seven years but that we look to the long-term because that mitigates downside risk for us. And we believe that these properties owning them long-term will have significant appreciation potential. And we don't want to squander that upside, but look, we have to balance the fact that we have investors with different types of profiles across the board, some of which are looking for liquidity and they want quarterly distribution, some of which are looking for just long-term cap appreciation and tax advantage distributions that are traditionally larger through refinance and sale. So we just try and be candid and honest with our investors from the standpoint of, look, you can't expect there to be a material liquidity event in the next five, seven, 10, 15, 20 years even, but the chances are there will because we're aligned as well, right? Myself as a co-manager of Christina Real Estate Investors 5, my dollars are in there alongside of you. I'm incentivized to make that investment perform. So the management has an aligned incentive. It's not like we just want to hang on to the properties forever and not generate a return. Our goal is always to optimize the investment performance as quickly as possible, have a distribution event within the first three years through a refinance. So we always try and make sure that we have a seven-year business plan that says by that seventh year, we're hoping to maximize the value within that window. And then it provides you with an opportunity to monetize the investment from there, but always looking for the long-term because there's not a single property that we've sold that we could buy back for what we sold it for. So then it makes you wonder, well, why the hell did you sell it in the first place? And that's something we ask ourselves. Well, the argument is a lot of syndicators make a lot of money on fees. So it yep. pays to turn and burn properties. That's correct. You're exactly right. And there are transactional fees that come along with what we do, but that's what helps us hire the best people. And that's what helps us make sure that you have professionals that are working to improve the value of your investment. But at the same time, you get pressures from investors who are looking for recycle that capital. They got to put a kid through college, which we've done to many kids, which is nice to say. And it just kind of depends as we have such a variety of different investors that it's hard to align one investment product with every single investor profile. And that's part of the reason why we started actually our Christina Real Estate Investors 5, having an income builder and a wealth builder. The income builder is a non-leveraged portfolio that'll go out there and buy real estate and it'll provide distributions on a quarterly basis. So it's a set coupon clipper alternative to bonds who wanted durable and income stream with tax shelter and capital appreciation that you can't get from the bond markets right now. And then our traditionally leveraged wealth builder product that's more longer term outlook from the standpoint of those are properties that will probably be held for an extended period of time as well. 
financings and sales or how you're going to return that capital, those investors are less focused on getting that quarterly check. So that's one way in which we've tried to reconcile with people who want different types of investment returns and timeliness of distributions. We're getting better at it each day. Adam, what are your typical returns for each of those funds? Right now, those private equity companies are open for investment right now. We're in the investment period. So we have two deals that are under contract right now, one of which is a development project. It's actually a very, very unique prime property on Beverly Glen, just south of Wilshire Boulevard in the Westwood submarket. It had been owned generationally by a religious institution that was selling because it really wasn't their core competency to be managing real estate. They've been kind of carrying that building vacant for a long time. The site's way underutilized. It's got seven units of existing multifamily housing when buy right would allow us to construct up to 19 units. So it's got really attractive land bases for us. And we're expecting double digit returns there north of 20%. That's obviously a more risky deal from that standpoint, but we have a mitigation strategy to avoid that. But on the income builder, we're anticipating income yield will be somewhere in the ballpark of 4%, but total return, including appreciation over time, will get you to low 10 or 11%. So still very strong returns, but more stable from the standpoint that We're not going to be doing any development activities or any kind of high risk value add strategies on that. We're looking for more core plus deals that are stabilized that we can just kind of take on our own existing, put within our property management team, improve some of the efficiencies there. So a little bit lower risk, lower return, but overall very good, especially in this market. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliant's experienced team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'm guessing your investor profile is fairly unique. Who was your typical investor? That's a good point. So we have a large contingency of doctors right now. We've benefited from having a good relationship with one of the major hospitals in the area. And we've done some investor seminars with them. And we've got a huge contingency of doctors right now. We've got some wealthy family offices. We have two of the largest family offices actually in the United States that are invested with us. We have a Japanese company that has a US-based subsidiary that's with us. We have an insurance company that's based in the United Kingdom that invests with us. And then we have probably 250 just high net worth, wealthy individuals from, I want to say over 30 states in the United States right now that are investing with us. So we've got a really diverse investor base, but I think what it really is, is testament to the fact that these markets have a high barrier to entry and they're opaque and they're difficult to gain access to. But if you talk to a doctor in Tennessee, or if you talk to an investment banker in New York, who doesn't want to own Beverly Hills, Santa Monica? You look at it and the year-over-year returns are fantastic. The historical appreciation is largely unparalleled. And the safety of the investment, especially at a time of economic turmoil right now, I think is something that gives investors a lot of safety. And there's, like I said, it's that tangibility 
we have investors that live in LA that drive by our properties all the time and it gives them pride of ownership. They can look on the corner of Wilshire and Rodeo and Beverly Hills and say, I own 10% of that building. And that's pretty cool. It's funny. I've got a lot of friends that are doctors and they want investments that also come with bragging rights. So a lot of my friends will invest in bars, restaurants, marijuana companies, but you're right. If they can buy a building in Beverly Hills, that would definitely give them some bragging rights at the golf course. I love that. <laughs> so with inflation, with prices going up, you guys are pretty much asset agnostic, right? That's correct. You just want to find great deals. When you're looking for office or commercial deals, and when I say commercial, non-residential commercial, are you looking for long-term leases already in place? Or are you now starting to look at leases that are expiring soon? Because with multifamily, rates are going up year over year. When a commercial tenant is locked into a 10-year lease, they benefit during high inflationary periods. So have you shifted and started to look for expiring leases? We have. We've seen better pricing opportunities on those buildings that have expiring leases because there's obviously more risk to the seller at that point. They know that if they can't renew the tenant, they're going to have vacancy loss. And even in LA where there's been more people going back to work, office vacancy is still huge. And that's a very significant risk. And I think property owners are conscious of that and they're willing to provide more attractive buying opportunities to you. And for us, we're looking for those office space, for instance, that has the potential for conversion to residential. There's so many incentives that local governments and the state government is giving to property owners to convert non-habitable space to habitable space. Does that have one path to monetization? For us as well, if we can get a seller to carry back financing on it, we're more willing to take a risk on a property that's got an expiring term lease because as you all know, when you're trying to finance a property that's either partially vacant, becoming vacant, or has a high potential of being vacant, lenders are very risk adverse to that. There's been a significant tightening in the credit markets for retail and office properties that don't have long-term durable leases in place through credit tenants because there's a lot of apprehension, I think, in the lending world of how these properties will perform. So there's definite pricing opportunities in those spaces. The income builder, though, however, that portfolio... We love long-term leases that are in place, even if they're slightly below market today, as long as they have some sort of inflation guard in place, even if it's not a full CPI increase, as long as it's getting some fixed increase that's going to keep up somewhat with inflation, it kind of meets that investor profile return standpoint that we need to hit. So we're trying to make sure that these properties align with our stated investment strategy for each private equity company that we have. So look at different types of deals for different fund that we're looking for a property on right now. For the wealth builder one, for instance, we would be more willing to take a deal that has an expiring lease and say, we're going to take advantage of a discount in value. We think that we can relet this space within a reasonable time frame, And we just know that if you hold it for long enough, you're definitely going to make a heck of a return just looking at the appreciation of this marketplace as a whole. But I just think in a more simple way to answer your question, it depends on which private equity company we're trying to fit that property into. Okay. So what about those individuals that want to hit a home run? They don't want the boring investment. They want to risk their capital and they want to swing for the fences. I think there's some interesting development opportunities out there. In LA, what has made investors over time have extraordinary returns. If you're willing to take the risk of working through discretionary entitlement processes with the city of Los Angeles, city of Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, West Hollywood, which have some of the most stringent land use requirements, Basically, every project 
in the city of Beverly Hills and the city of Santa Monica require you to go to architectural review board, which means that if you want to develop a vacant parcel and you want to go ahead and try and entitle that project for something that's outside of the existing zoning land use ability, you can go through that public hearing and try and get something approved. And if you put on a compelling enough case, you can get density and floor area enhancements that allow for you to develop a project that's significantly larger and more intensive a use than what would have other been allowed. But you go through the really rigorous review process and it costs you a lot to finance that project during the time and legal fees and architectural fees. But if you can get it done, you can hit some Absolute home runs. I'm talking about you guys. Do you not offer those types of investments? Very speculative deals. Yeah, we have a spec, you know, this Beverly Glen property that we have under contract right now. It's speculative from the standpoint that the primary path to monetization that we see as the highest and best use requires the demolition of what they call protected rent controlled apartment units that have very challenging land use constraints around them. We believe we can get it done. And that will, I think, produce an extraordinary 25% plus two to four X return, which I think is massive in this market in particular. And we take on a commensurate level of risk. So yeah, that would be an opportunity for you there. But we are not as risk tolerant as some other investors. Our founder, Larry, comes from an accounting background. Vince, our CFO, is a CPA. My dad was a real estate CPA as well. So we all have a conservative investment outlook in general. We don't believe in wanting to swing for the fences. We're more looking for doubles and triples and protecting your downside risk. And for 45 years, we've never lost a dollar of investor capital. So we'd like to maintain that. But that's something that gives our investors a lot of confidence is we always have a backup plan to mitigate downside risk to avoid losing investors' capital. And we have audited investment returns that demonstrate that that's what we've been able to do. And We don't want to squander that by taking on the type of risk that we think is unnecessary or not commensurate with the outcome. Okay. I'm going to keep pushing here. So before I do on that property that you could two or four X your capital, what's the downside risk on that? If things don't go the way you plan, how do you offload that property or get out of it? Well, I don't think we would. I think what we would do at that point is we know we have the buy right potential to add up to two ADUs called accessory dwelling unit. So I can take that from a seven to a nine unit building. I can rehab the existing apartments. I can make them better. Right now they're presently vacant. So therefore they're not subject. They're vacancy decontrolled, meaning I can rent them at market. So I would invest capital into that building to improve it, to maximize the rent. And then just hold on to the building for the extended period of time would probably take you seven to 10 years to get to a point where you could sell it for a profit. But during that time, we would depreciate it We would mine all of the possible tax benefits from it, and we would benefit from an income stream that would still be fairly compelling. But the issue is is that the basis in which we would be acquiring the property for would not be necessarily reflective of the existing use. It's more so of what the future potential is for us. And even though we think it's at a very, very attractive price, it's still relatively expensive for what the existing use is and the capex that's required to bring that building into leasable fashion at a status in which we'd be comfortable with. Got it. And I like that deal. Do you offer that as an individual investment or is that part of a fund? It's part of the portfolio. Yeah. So that would be one of about seven properties. And the reason we do that is it allows you to diversify within an existing portfolio. You're not overly concentrated in that one deal and you still get the exposure to that deal and the upside of that deal. But then within the portfolio, we'll construct it with some more 
stabilized investments, some single tenant triple net lease, some newer apartment buildings and stuff, just to give you a little bit of a broader exposure without all the concentration in that one deal. All right. So as much money as you guys spend on one apartment, you can probably buy a Midwest office building. So why not roll the dice and try to buy a a nice class A office building that's 30% occupied out in the Midwest? We're not momentum-based investors. We believe fundamentally in the fundamentals of our region. The absence of any vacant land, we're in a fully developed region. We have some of the most stringent land use requirements of any cities in the world. It's very challenging to get things done here. And you have the best year-round climate. And we're experts in this region. We don't try and tell people how they should invest in Nevada, how they should invest in Florida or New York, because we're not the expert there. All this company has invested in for 45 years is the west side of LA, and we've produced double-digit returns, never lost a dollar. So it's almost the Donald Bren strategy of Irvine, the Larry Silverstein strategy of New York, the Walter Shorenstein strategy of San Francisco. Why leave the markets that you know so well and that you can capitalize on the dislocation in certain areas and the underlying demand drivers? We don't need to take the risk to take our investor base somewhere else out there. There is enough real estate in this area that if we could never own it all, we would love to. But we just don't feel like we would be able to be as effective in these other marketplaces because you have to have boots on the ground to really know those areas. And we have boots on the ground in all of these cities. And we know the politicians, we know the tax assessor, we know the tax collector, we know the people who move and shake and how to get deals done here. So we never saw a reason for us to really move from this marketplace. Do you organically grow in larger concentric circles? We do. Or do you have a very strict border? We have a loosely defined border. It's typically west of La Brea, south of Sunset Boulevard, north of Pico to the Pacific Ocean, basically. So it's really West Hollywood, West, Brentwood, South. I could show you on a map. We kind of have it defined. So like if I'm working with a new broker, I say, don't send me a single deal that's outside of this boundary unless it's an absolute screamer because I'm not interested in it. We're not chasing stuff in downtown. We're not chasing stuff in Hollywood or Silver Lake. Even though those areas have done well, we're just not really interested because they're not the prime of the prime. And that's ultimately what we're looking for is the absolute best deal in the best market. And when you've got relationships the last 45 years, they're not as challenging to find as you may expect. When you have just about every broker from every major brokerage house and every estate attorney and every court appointed receiver who knows that Christina Development Corporation has money to deploy in these markets and they're going to close if they get a property under contract. I think that's a pretty compelling competitive advantage. So we've expanded a little bit to like Culver City didn't always fit our marketplace. That's done well. We will conservatively branch out into there, but pretty much the five cities, Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, West Hollywood, Malibu. That's where we want to be. And Adam, what's the minimum investment to get into one of these deals? $250,000. And your outlook on the residential market going forward? I think in the near term, very strong. We're still seeing, like I said, prolific rent increases right now. Our portfolio is about 90% plus occupied right now with the few units that we do have available of undergoing a renovation because the tenants moved out. So I think we're very bullish on where prices are going to be from a rental standpoint in the near term. I think it'll begin to taper off. They can't stay this high forever. But the benefit that we have is there's no real material new supply coming on board and you always have people 
wanting to live in Los Angeles. There's been a lot of kind of conjecture and draconian sentiment about Los Angeles and the exodus and stuff. Don't believe it's all hype, right? There's still a huge demand for west side of LA residential space and there's never been enough existing supply to meet the demand for it. And that's why you've seen consistent year over year rental growth, but we're not going to see it at the same clip that we are presently. So I think near term, you're going to continue to see significant rental increases begin to taper off, level out. It may reduce a little bit, but we just benefit from having insufficient supply and you're not building any more properties in this area without a pretty significant entitlement process and a building permit timeline that makes it challenging. Adam, I got to thank you again for your time today. And thanks for bringing us up to speed on what's going on some macro assessments of your market. How can the best ever listeners reach out to you? They can hit me at Adam, A-D-A-M at Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-L-A.com. Adam at Christina, L-A.com. Love to have the opportunity to chat with anybody. And I do appreciate last time we spoke and when the podcast aired, we had five or six of your listeners reach out. So it was fantastic. Awesome. Hopefully you got 10x that this time. I sure Again, thank you for your time and come back and share things. If anything changes in that market or the economy as a whole, would love to have another conversation with you. Likewise. I always appreciate your time, Ash. Thanks again. Thank you. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe and have a best ever day.